something outside. What is that? Radio listeners, this is Gunnar Monson, one of your hosts of Monster X Radio and the founder of the Sasquatch Coffee Company. Sasquatch Coffee, have you tried it yet? Um, and if you uh, go to www.squatchcoffee.com, you can pick up some of your own, including our new variety, Feelin Squatchy. With me today on this uh very sunny Oregon uh, Father's Day is my good friend and co-host the Monster X Radio, Shane Hardcore Corson. Mr. Corson, how are you today? Howdy, Gunner. Doing well uh, <laughs> on this 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 semi-sunny Washington day, Washington day, and uh, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Uh, looking forward to this show, uh, part two, with our special guest Mark Marcel. I'm really looking forward to this show. No, I'm always Mark's. We had the pleasure of going with Mark to uh, the cabin site of the Fred Beck incident, and uh, last year. And Mark, Mark's just a cool cat. It's funny to see him like uh, this big, huge guy go up and down the mountain like a goat. You know, he's <laughs> three points of contact, man. Three points of contact. I did learn that. So, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, we had a, it was, and it was a blast. Um, uh, and uh, as if you've heard our, you should go back and listen to the show we did with Mark about the trip to Ape Canyon because it was it was a great um, fun time chatting with Mark because uh, he he uh, is kind of I mean to me it's like a he saved a, a significant um, piece of uh, Bigfoot history because a lot of Bigfooters are aware of the you know the Fred Bay incident, the miners that were bombarded by rocks in the cabin. That's the story. And he went back and actually found the the site of the cabin. So um, mm-hmm. kudos to Mark. And it was no easy task, as I'm sure. Like you said, if you go back and listen to that show and, and last week's show, you'll hear him tell about the process. So, And yeah, Shane, yeah, you, were, yeah. you were actually um, did a presentation up in Washington yesterday. How'd that go? I did, uh, I did, and actually I covered a little bit about the the, the, the history of the Eight Canyon, but it went fantastic. I had a, a good crowd, uh, a very uh, eager and, and uh, uh, crowd that was very interested uh, in the subject, but really had no, not much knowledge on the subject of Sasquatch, and so uh, it was a privilege uh, speaking uh, before them and letting them in on you know what what uh, some of the the Olympic project research is and what we've been doing uh, a little bit about uh, historical reports uh, the name behind you know how Bigfoot came to be the name of Bigfoot uh, and Sasquatch and 
some of the Native American stuff. So it went really well. Uh, you know, I, I did a just uh, just under an hour presentation, and uh, like I said, um, I, I left feeling pretty good about it. Uh, the uh, attendees were uh, ecstatic. They uh, um, came. A few of them came up to me and said, "You know, you might have made me a believer in in this this Bigfoot." And I said, "That wasn't my goal. I, you know, my goal was to show you." Uh, a little bit of, of what I consider to be some really good uh, and, and factual stuff on, on the subject. And so uh, it went well. Um, I'll probably be doing some more of those down the road, uh, and we'll see. I know uh, uh, we're definitely going to talk about uh, Mark Marcel. Uh, you know, he's got a couple of uh, speaking engagements coming up, uh, one's in Montana and one's in Kennewick, Washington. We'll, we'll definitely discuss that probably towards the, the latter part of today's show. Uh, so if uh, if folks want to hear more from Mark Marcel, they're going to be, get a chance at, at two opportunities uh, in two different places. So, yeah. And I yeah, and that's really the the first opportunity that I got to see Mark was at Hopsquatch, and he was talking and like you know that it just fascinates me. I like the hist I you know I like the history of the the subject, um, and that's for someone from the Pacific Northwest. That's one of those iconic stories, you know. Up there with with uh, Bluff Creek, you know that that's one oh, yeah. of those that just solidified it as a kid. You're like, wow, there's you know that's a cool story. Um, it's mm-hmm. scary. So <laughs> but, yeah, but well, uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. and today uh, we're going to get a chance to hear um, uh, some lesser known but uh, very fascinating, interesting historical stuff in regards to possible uh, Bigfoot attack. Uh, attacks and uh, and just the history behind it, and I'm I'm, I'm really fascinated to hear the process. Uh, Mark always has a fascinating process, and he truly is like the the Indiana Jones of this, as I said last week. When it comes to these reports, the way he uh, he's, he's not just looking at literature and, and and newspaper articles, he's getting out there and uh, <laughs> rappelling down mountains and hiking, <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> surveying. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, yeah. <laughs> no, and it's. Oh. The funny, I mean, I, I, it's, I still go back. If you listen, it's, I had this like image of dropping down this little rope into a meadow at Deep Canyon. And boy, boy was I was in for a surprise when we actually got there, because that was not like that. It was, it was, you know, going down a hill, a mountainside into a canyon, an actual canyon, not yeah. just, a, yeah, yeah, not a divot in the ground. But it was, it was an awesome time. So let's get Mark on here. I'm, want to, uh, I'm eager to hear what he's got to say. Hey, you guys. Hey, hey Mark, happy, happy Father's, Father's Day, Day. Happy Father's Day, you guys, both of you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks for joining us today on Monster X. Oh, please, you guys. I'm so privileged and proud to be on Monster X. I really appreciate you guys having me on to go blathering on and on and on <laughs> about the projects uh, I'm working on. Well, I, I'm a fan because, like, I was, we were talking about, with Shane is like, you know, that this is an iconic, uh, eight Canyon for one is very iconic incident, you know, history, part of the history of, of Bigfooting, particularly in the Northwest, but it is. Yeah. And, and, and that, um, with the Mount St. Helens eruption, you know, kind of the thought was that it was, that's probably, that site's probably gone, obliterated. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you put a incredible amount of time, and an effort into finding it and, and going to it, not just finding it on a map, but going down to the site, So, which is not an easy task. 
And uh, <laughs> I, 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 I <laughs> it, okay, a lot easier for you, but no, but not, still, I, I mean, I'm, re- I'm really proud that even you know after after a year, you still you know you both of you have remarks considering that it was a fun trip. So I'm yeah, really yeah. proud of you guys that you think it was so fun. <laughs> no, no, I I still remember coming when we came around the corner and we looked at the the where we were going down to. I was like. Man, I wonder how I can actually fake a break broken leg right now. Just that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's that uh, that place where you stand at the top and look down that slope, and I'm up here, and that cabin site's down there. Um, that has <laughs> turned away some other people that I've taken up there, and it's like, oh, I'll just go hiking, and I'll meet you back at camp tonight, and then go off and do something else because of <laughs> I am not going down there, and so some people haven't. So you know, you guys made it, and you made it back, and we were all safe, yeah. and we had a great time. So, oh, it was, yeah, it was a great time. So, well, Mark, I know I'm sure that you talked a little bit about it last year, but in case uh, last week, in case you. Um, somebody didn't catch last week's show. Can you give us a little bit about your background? Oh, sure. Um, I was born um, as a land surveyor. My dad uh, was a land surveyor since he was about 18 or 19, um, and he joined the uh, Oregon Highway Department and became a surveyor that way. And then shortly before I was born, um, he ended up licensed and uh, started the family business. And so I grew up as a land surveyor um, ever since I was like 10 or 11 years old, you know, carrying stakes and chopping brush for the family business. And I ended up getting licensed in Oregon and Washington and then buying the family business from my dad. Um, and let's see, that was in 1995 and just has been, have been running the family business ever since. Uh, just a private land surveyor doing all kinds of things, dealing with, it's one of the great joys. Uh, of of the profession and I've come to realize as I've gotten older I guess I'm 51 now is that one day you're dealing with you know farmers who have come to shotgun blows over a fence line one day and then literally the next day you're dealing with suits and ties developing waterfront property so you have this whole wide range of people that you're dealing with and coming in and just trying to help them solve their problems of whatever their problems are regarding property lines or or whatnot. So it, it's great variety. The the other true joy pertinent to what we're talking about today is that in any given survey project or boundary survey, um, there is a tremendous amount. I think most people don't realize there's a tremendous amount of um, document research and field research that goes into any given survey before you make your case before you drive that iron rod into the ground to say it's a property corner. Um, there can be, sometimes the answers come quickly in, in the record, in the deed record or the survey record. Sometimes it takes weeks and weeks and weeks to try to sort out what really happened in the past and using all that information and using the field evidence in order to in order to make your determination. And that's really what Ape Canyon was all about, and that's what Thompson Flat Monster um, Project is all about, is going to every single repository of record document that you can think of. Um, and a lot there's a lot of dead ends, but you just think of anything possibly that might be out there and getting a copy and stuffing it into the file and gathering as much evidence as you can and then taking that evidence out into the field and trying to correlate it with what you can find in the ground, trying to find what, what is left in the ground to put the whole story together. 
Mark, you know, uh, we we, did, we discussed last week uh, a lot about the uh, Ape Canyon, um, but I'd like to really get in here and dig on some of your new work uh, when it comes to, uh, I, I'm not sure which one you've been doing the most work on. I would imagine it's the flat, you know, Flatwood Monster, um, but let's dig into that, and, and if you can, give us a little background on uh, uh, the history of, of, of that story. This is a very complicated story, and one thing that I've been wrestling with thinking about today's show is how to try to make sense of it. So everyone has to kind of put on their thinking cap on this one because there's a lot, there's a lot of information on this one, and it's very complicated. When, when we talk about this story of the Thompson Flat Monster or the Wild Man of the Sixes, uh, and part of the incident is what I'm calling um, uh, the Butchertown Murders, as well as the Chetco Indian Devil Massacre, they're all one and the same. It's all the same story. So maybe I'll start with how I got into this project. Um, my wife, Catherine, yeah. Is, yeah. is truly wonderful in that she, is, she comes from a family of librarians, and um, she's a librarian herself. And, and any time you might express something to her, about something you're doing or something that you're working on, um, she'll go out and find stuff. You know, e- even even if you may have seen it before, she'll still grab it and say, "Well, you know, bring it to you," and say, "Well, maybe you haven't seen this before." So she was at the library, and I was hanging out here at the aquarium working, and she brought back this little booklet. And unfortunately, I cannot recall the name of it. It was published sometime in the 1990s, and it was a short uh, book, maybe 40 or 50 pages long, along the lines of Field Guide to the Sasquatch. And in the first half, there was Field Guide information about, you know, what the phenomenon is and, and what this creature looks like and, cat, you know, footprints and, and other evidence that's been found. In the back half of the book, there was sort of a minor version of um, the Bigfoot case book. Uh, by Borden and Coleman, in that it gave a short compendium of historical Sasquatch sightings or encounters. And it covered um, Oregon and Washington, I believe Northern California, and maybe parts of British Columbia. I'll have to try to track down the name for you guys. Uh, but um, I, I'm kind of embarrassed because the first thing I always do is, uh, in that kind of book, is immediately go to uh, 1924 and look at the Ape Canyon write-up in those kind of mm-hmm. books uh, to see what they wrote about it and to see what I may agree with or not agree with, you know, on Ape <laughs> Canyon. So I did that, and then I'm going through the book that night, and um, I come across this story from 1904, and it rang a couple bells, but not exactly. I thought that I had heard about it before. And um, the story... The 1904 incident in Thompson Flat involved a gold mining area. It involved uh, men seeing a creature, seeing footprints, taking shots at it, rocks being thrown back, and then the cabin attacked in the middle of the night. And the thing that kind of floored me about it is that the story read just like Ape Canyon, but it wasn't. Uh. It was it was 20 years prior. So. Thompson Flat, to give you some geography, Thompson Flat is down in Curry County, Oregon. It's the most southwesterly county in Oregon. It's also one of the youngest counties in Oregon as well. 
and uh, this area of Thompson Flat is about 10 miles or so east of the coast, um, in port, uh, east of uh, Port Orford, Oregon. And it's this uh, small flat area uh, on the north side of a branch of the river. Uh, it's on the south fork of the Sixes River. This area is, um, you're, uh, geologically, you're getting out of our volcanic area here in the Pacific Northwest as you get south, and you're getting into a strong uh, marble uplift. Um, you know, you're getting into the Marble Mountains and the Klamath Mountains area where you're getting outside of the volcanoes. So it's sort of like a mini Rockies uh, where, um, say, heading from north to south, you'll have very, very steep uh, mountains, uh, like small Rockies. And then Thompson Flat is a small ledge. Um, it's maybe a quarter mile north and south and about half a mile east and west. And then continuing south, then you're immediately on, on that small gorge at the south fork of the Sixes River. And there are creeks that feed, in, that feed into that. One of them is a creek called Butcher Gulch. And um, in 1904, that got me started on this in March, uh, there was a, I should say it was one of the gold mining claims in that area called the Harrison Claim. And uh, a fellow named Ben Harrison Sr. had, had claimed it. It was, a pl it was a placer mine. It was a pl they were mining gold. And um, a family friend named Ward and another friend of his, Berlinson, were were working this mine for Ben Harrison Sr. And uh, they had seen, well, they had seen this creature in the woods, but frankly, at that point in 1904, it wasn't too much of a surprise uh, to see a large hair-covered hominid going through the woods uh, because we'll get into this in a second, but it, the, the, the area had a long history. This very limited area had a long history of these creatures being seen in, in the woods and sometimes very violent encounters. So um, naturally the first thing that they do is uh, take shots at it. And um, it was nearby camp near near the mine and where a cabin had been built uh, called the Harrison Cabin. They took shots at it and it was, the shots either missed or had no effect. Rocks were thrown back. This happened about twice to Ward and Berlinson. And then as they're in this small cabin at night, um, uh, the cabin is grabbed and, and shaken violently and, and beat upon. Well, they stay inside because they're scared to death. About a week later, Ward is back up there again, and he's with Ben Harrison's two, two sons, Ben Harrison Jr. and Bob Harrison. And uh, they had seen the creature again through the week. And that night, early morning, about 5 o'clock in the morning, the uh, cabin is attacked again and, and beat upon. Well, they're ready at that point, and they burst out of the door. And there's this large hair-covered creature. In that area, most of the reports say it's about 6 or 7 feet tall. And they take shots at it about 100 feet away, and the creature turns and goes back into the woods. Well, when I got that story and, and I ended up getting um, the, the original newspaper in the Myrtle Point Enterprise, when the 1904 encounter was, was published, I read it through and, you know, naturally I'm coming off of a canyon and it's like there's a gold mine and there's a cabin that was attacked by a monster in the woods. Well, 
maybe there's some evidence of that gold mine left. Maybe there's some evidence of the cabin left. So I started to get very excited about the story, and I'm frankly still very excited about the story. So taking off of that, I started looking into the area and found that there was such a large amount of reported encounters with this creature at Thompson Flat, um, frank, frankly, in, in the vicinity of about once a year, dating back to about 1875 through 1904 and continuing on a little bit into the 19-teens. And it was one of maybe one of those missed opportunities where we didn't have a, a, a naturalist or or someone doing some sort of natural history research available in the area because the encounters were so strong and so frequent that um, it could have been an opportunity to actually identify a species in southwest Oregon, and we wouldn't be discussing this over Monster X Radio, but instead at some rather boring scientific conference in Connecticut or something like that, you know. Um, but there were there was a tremendous amount of of encounters into the area. When it was reported um, in the newspapers, it was reported as the Wild Man of the Sixes, and that's why um, we have the name Wild Man of the Sixes. I'm calling this project the Thompson Flat Monster, which which was also used, that, that term Thompson Flat Monster was also used a little bit but I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get away from the work that was done uh, in Northern California a few years ago that they called their project the Wild Man of the Sixes because it took place in the, in the Sixes National Forest. So, um, it, But historically, it's all one and the same, Thompson Flat Monster and the Wild Man of the Sixes. What started, there, there was one single incident that um, is the earliest record in this, in, in this neighborhood um, of an encounter, and that one incident uh, started two things. It started um, the Euro-American, if you will, the, the white fellow's awareness of this, of this Sasquatch-like creature up in the woods, and it, that same incident also started what is called the uh, Southwest Oregon Gold Rush. Uh, Thompson Flat was sort of like the Sutter's Mill of Southwest Oregon. And uh, there was a fellow, I only have his first name right now, it's Tom, and he was a prospector. He was an older fellow. He was, well, it was in his late 60s or so. And uh, he went up, uh, he told friends uh, leaving town that he was going to go up to Star Mountain. Star Mountain is immediately on the south side of the South Forks of, of the Sixes River, just south of Thompson Flat. He was going to go up to Star Mountain and do some prospecting. Well, he didn't come back. Uh, about three or four days later, his friends are like, you know, where's Tom? And so they go up looking for him, and they find him unconscious at the bottom of a short drop. And um, uh, he's still alive, and so they they get him, and they pick up some of his items that are nearby his person, and uh, they nurse him back to health. They get him back into town. While he's um, getting better, his uh, friend looks in his pack, and he finds this incredibly large piece of quartz. And on the end of the piece of quartz, there's, a, there's this large nugget of gold, the largest ones that he's ever seen. Um, and uh, Tom comes, too, and he explains what happened, that he was uh, picking and, and just processing with a, with a hand pick in the ground. 
and all of a sudden he's grabbed from behind, and it was such split-second timing. He really didn't get a good look at what grabbed him, but it was something large that was able to grow, able to grab a human up off of the ground, and he was throttled and beaten and thrown down off of a, a short drop of about 20 feet or so, knocking him unconscious. All that Tom was able to say was that it was incredibly large and incredibly strong and covered entirely with hair. And so about and well once Tom gets back to health, by that point it, it, it's it's getting it's getting into later in the season around fall. Miraculously Tom goes back up there, uh a little bit better armed, uh, but doesn't have any more encounters. That was what started um our awareness of the creature in the woods. But once Tom and his gold got out, Thompson Flat ended up being a, a sizable uh, place for many people to come in around Thompson Flat and it, to, to start their gold mining prospects. And at first there were maybe about two or three load mines, uh, hard rock mining, but after a while they realized it was more profitable and easier to get gold just by, by placer by placer operations. So up in the small area of Thompson Flat, there's um, a, a, a whole, dozens and dozens of claims in this very small area of placer locations. Um, shortly after that, um, I'm not sure if it was the same claim or not, but it was a, it's the same story that uh, showed up in John Green's book, um, a, um, a, a couple of uh, fellows uh, Robinson and, and Benson had filed a claim. One of them was called the Wild Man Claim. Another mm. one for history buffs was the Bigfoot Claim. In, in, in the 1880s, in the early 1880s, I think that's the true origin, the first time that the word Bigfoot was ever used, you know, not to discredit any of the Jerry Crew incident, but that's the first indication I found of the word Bigfoot. Uh, but they were working their claim up there, they were returning to camp up a, up a ledge, and uh, there's a creature there in the, in, at their camp, and they described it as six or seven feet tall. One thing interesting that keeps being repeated in all these stories is that it's in, covered entirely with uh, yellow hair or yellow fur. Uh, the creature is there, and the creature is just tearing apart the camp, just trashing everything like, you know, like a, like a college frat party or biker gang fun they're just tearing everything <laughs> apart he's tearing everything apart and, and throwing it down the two men have their rifles with them and take shots at it and the shots aren't doing anything so prudently they turn around and they run back to town and and sell their claim shortly after that well by that point um there were a a large number of people getting very very interested in uh the gold in that area and time and time again stories would end up into this area of seeing these large creatures in the woods sometimes eyewitness encounters sometimes just large tracks uh, in in the mud in a, in a creek bed sometimes two sets of tracks were found um, there was a fellow named Dr. Elgin who was working in the area and he came across a creature described exactly like Benson and Robinson did of, of, of six or seven feet tall and with yellow fur. And the creature is, is at the creek bed. He stumbles across him, and the creature is, is aggressive and, and, and growls and yells at him and, and bears its teeth. 
Elgin comes back and he and he gives the story and it's, it's published in the paper. Um, I would I, I I I've never counted it up, but I would I would estimate in this period there was about thirty to forty um, encounters published in in the wow. in the other news in a variety of newspapers, and that's one thing that's in, kind of important to this story right now, is that um, it was Curry County was one of the youngest counties, and what are what are the first two industries that you can think of that that enters into a place with new money, a place that has a lot of money. And one of them is, of course, banks, and the other one is our newspapers, that even though this was an extremely rural area, uh, there was logging, there was mining, there was a lot of money coming in there. And in in this small area of Curry County, Coos County to the north, there were about three or four papers that were being published regularly in that area, right, on on a weekly basis. Uh, there was just a, a vast of my, a vast amount of information being published about the goings on down in that area. So one thing that I remember two years ago talking to a friend about this. One thing that I had in my mind um, about the whole Thompson Flat incident. And I was telling a friend about this and talking to him about Thompson Flat. That I recall, in in talking with this friend, I recall that I had come across a story that around the 1880s, 1890s, that I had heard that or read somewhere that I had um, gotten that it was not that uncommon. Perhaps you could call it uncommon. But it wasn't that unusual for a miner in that area to go missing and then to be found dead later with his head crushed and or his body throttled to a pulp. He was dead, right? So I, I had that in my mind. And this is this is one of the things I learned on this project that any you know when you get a when you get a research project and you're getting this avalanche of information on on top of you, it's you get so excited about all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> you have to remember that when you come across a piece of, piece of information, copy it and stick it in the file. <laughs> because uh, I I was telling my friend about this and. And I, I kind of run my life on kind of delayed gratification that sometimes, you know, a package will come in the mail and I know what's in the package and I'll stick it up on a shelf and I'll just wait for the right. I know what's in the package. <laughs> I'll just wait for the right time and just savor it. So with the story of these of these deaths, um, I kind of put that aside and, and I was waiting for the right time to really get into the meat of, of these murders, of these deaths, of these men up there. And so the time comes, okay, I'm ready to go. Let's really get into this. And so I start looking through the file, and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking through the file, and it's like, where, <laughs> where is that? I couldn't find anywhere where I got that information. I looked, uh, so, you know, it's kind of a mistake, but I looked all over the Internet and tried to find where I got these story of these deaths up at Thompson Flat. Well, I couldn't find it, so it's like. Well, I was thinking. Well, maybe I'm maybe I'm getting confused with another story, which is the Chetco Indian Devil Massacre, 
And the Chetco River is about 60 miles, 50, 60 miles south of Thompson Flat. So I looked at the Chetco Indian Devil story. Now, um, the Chetco Indian Devil story, and I'll, I'll give it to you briefly here in a second. This was collected by Ivan Sanderson. And Ivan Sanderson is a well-known figure in the cryptozoology world and in the Sasquatch world. Um, the guy was uh, from uh, Edinburgh, Shane, one of your fellows, and he came to America, and uh, he was a botanist, and he traveled the world uh, collecting uh, information on plant life, on, on animal life, and uh, he was involved with botanical surveys uh, in the United States and would start picking up these weird stories because, you know, you do a botanical survey uh, out in the woods or out in the extremely rural areas. You don't do it out, you know, you don't do it out in, in the middle of a, of a city. So he'd come across people who would tell him these fantastical stories of this large Sasquatch kind of character in the woods. And so he started getting very interested in it and started publishing some information about it. Well, he had gotten a story uh, about a fellow, a civil engineer in Crescent City, California in the late 1950s. And so he went to visit this fellow, and the fellow told him the story of a massacre of, of people up on the Chetco River by this large hair-covered creature in the woods. So this story was published in True Magazine. Uh, Sanderson published it. It was later retold by um, a very well-known uh, writer named Marion Place, and she was a well-known um, uh, young adult, uh, uh, young adult uh, writer, and she wrote a book called On the Track of Bigfoot, where um, she wasn't a Sasquatch researcher, but she collected these Bigfoot stories. She, was, she lived in the Pacific Northwest, and she retold the Chetco Indian Devil story <clears throat> in and then later, and more recently, Will Jevening re republished or transcribed Marion Place's story of Chetco. So that very, very briefly about the Chetco Devil Massacre is that this took place on the Chetco River in south in southern Oregon and it was around it was either eighteen ninety or eighteen ninety eight and it was either a mining camp or a logging camp. So that discrepancy in years and the discrepancy between a mining camp or a logging camp, that, that's kind of where the story um, stops diverging and it, it keeps getting retold the same time after that. But there's a large mining camp uh, on the Chetco, and <clears throat> there's a large amount of uh, people working there in sort of a small tent city. And uh, some of the miners who are men predominantly have uh, their families with them, so he, they have some of their wives with them, and including some of their kids. And they start having, at night, they have these strange encounters of, of strange screaming and yowling in the woods, and they're kind of getting a little unnerved about it. Some of the younger guys, a couple of the younger men, uh, 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 children, um, come across, tracks in a nearby creek. I believe the story holds that they may have had a sighting. Well, with all this kind of buildup, um, the, the miners and the people in the camp start to get very concerned. And they decide that we need a round-the-clock, 24-hour watch, arm, armed guards. We're all, we're all going to take shifts. Well, one night, <clears throat> this screaming from the woods, this yowling animal-like sound from the woods, erupts 
and everyone's out of their tents, everyone's grabbing their guns, and we're going to go into the woods. And so the men go into the woods armed, and they realize partway through going through the woods trying to track down the sound, they said, wait a minute, nobody, nobody's back at camp to, to guard the camp. And so half of them split off, and they go back to the camp, and no sooner had they gotten there than the, this animal-like screaming is still going on in the woods, but now it's being accompanied by human screaming and gunshots going off. So, holy smokes, they charge back into the woods. They get to the point where the party had broken up, and they can follow the brush line and continue on in. And by the time they get to a certain point, the human screaming has stopped, and everything is quiet. The gunshots have stopped and they find the rest of their companions ripped from limb from limb. They're all dead, right? And so that's the Chetco devil story. Well, when I started re-looking, trying to track down where the heck I came across these dead miners up at Thompson Flat, I started to look into the Chetco, you know, starting with Ivan Sanderson's story. Um, So I uh, looked... And I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked, and again, that's why I pointed out the fact that there were three or four regularly published newspapers in the area, and the newspaper accounts were silent. There was, no, there was nothing to back up Sanderson's story that he got from that civil engineer in Crescent City. Uh, there, I couldn't find any record of any large mining camp up the Chetco. The Chetco, the, the Chetco massacre was supposed to take place about six or seven miles upriver from from uh, Gold Beach, uh, the next the next major town south. Um, I couldn't. I just couldn't find anything at all on on the Chetco. And so I put it to bed, and I was thinking, well, you know, this whole murder death story. I don't know where I got it. Maybe it was a dream. Well, there's there's a point there's a point in historical research when you, when you have to go uh, to that location where the records are kept, and for me in Southwest Washington with Thompson Flat, those areas are down in Southwest Oregon at the courthouse or the historical society or or, or whatnot. So you kind of get stalled sometimes, and you have, you're you're back home, you're trying to make gas and groceries, and so you're you're stalled waiting for your time to be able to go down and, and put in the time to do the to do the document research. Well, when that happens, I like to read the newspaper, but I like to read the newspapers from like 120 years ago, and I'm just <laughs> kind of poking around, looking at the newspapers, and, and just seeing what's interesting. And I'm always shocked at the strange times when you're just perusing the paper or perusing some sort of historical record, you know, whatever, logging record, mining record, deed records, and just by some sort of strange happenstance, you come across something that is not only related, but highly pertinent to what you're researching. So I was stalled for a few weeks, and I was just looking through the paper, and um, I came across an article in the Coast News which was uh, the paper out of, uh, of out of out of Coos Bay? They call it they, at the time it was called the town was called Marshfield, and in the Coast News there was a, a reporter who said um, this is an article from 1879, and he said he had other business in in the area, 
but had heard about um, this camp up on the um, South Fork of the Sixes River. And he went up there and, and wrote an article about it. And at that point in 1879, uh, mind you, this is just about five or six years after Tom was attacked up on Star Mountain, he said there was a sizable camp at, uh, at the mouth of uh, Butcher Gulch as it fed into the South Fork of the Sixes River. <clears throat> and they had called it uh, Butcher Town. And they said there were about 40 people there, uh, some living in tents, some living in cabins, uh, and they were mining. And some men had their wives with them. And he interviewed um, a, lot of, um, a lot of these people. These, these folks were working their individual placer mines, and then they would come together at night and sort of live communally. You know, they would share dinner together and, and trade goods. And, and, and you know, they were, they were living, he said they were living relatively peacefully and communally in, in, this, in this area. So this is ringing any bells, you know, all of a sudden that, that there's this large mining camp, you know, at Thompson Flat and not at the Chetco. So after a lot of poking around, I finally found this article, and now I, now I recognized it all of a sudden, that was published in the 1930s. And um, it was published in the 1930s in the Myrtle Point Herald, I believe. And it was published by Bob Harrison, one of the teenage boys that was in the cabin at the Harrison cabin in 1904. He had gone on to become um, the editor of, of the newspaper, and he was the editor of the newspaper for a long time. And he wrote extensively because his dad was an early pioneer and his dad was an early mining guy. Bob Harrison wrote extensively on early Southwest Oregon mining history and early pioneer history. And Bob Harrison was the key for me that what happened up at Butchertown um, was that at one point, oh, mind you, I want to go back to this 1879 article where the reporter reported on, on the camp at Butchertown, and when he did that, he actually named names. He named Dr. Elgin, who, had, who later had that encounter with the, year, with the yellow-haired creature at, at, the, at the stream. He named another fellow named Ramsey, who went by the handle Ramrod Ramsey. He, he, he interviewed another fellow named Mike Madigan. He actually named these people. Well, in Harrison's article in the 1930s, he related that at some point, everyone's back at camp one night. Um, this is around 1884, around 1885. And they're having dinner, <clears throat> and a couple of guys say, um, you know, where's John? There's a miner, a friend of theirs, John Jensen. And uh, where's John? He's not back yet, and he should be back. So they go to his cabin, and they knock and, and open the door, and John's not there. Well, we'd, we'd better go check. We'd better go up to his claim and take a look. And they go up there, and there's John, and he's dead. His head's been crushed. His head's been bashed in. And next to him is, is a bloodied rock, maybe the murder weapon. Well, about uh, four or five weeks later, this happens again with another fellow named McClone. 
and they find him and his and his body's completely battered, right? A third miner whose last name was Johnson and his his first name was Thomas. Uh I don't know, sometime for some reason in the late nineteenth century he had to have a nickname. Was known originally as Bullhide Johnson. Later, he got to be known as Coarse Gold Johnson once he found a gold mining claim. Well, Johnson goes missing. When when Johnson is missing, Mike Madigan has an encounter. Uh, Mike Madigan had his own claim in the area, uh, but he was mainly kind of known as the camp huntsman. He he went out with his two dogs and hunted and brought meat back and traded it for uh, for goods. Mike is out hunting with his two dogs, and they come up on this on this rise. And again, there's this large hair-covered creature uh, covered in yellow fur, and one of his dogs takes off. The creature grabs him, grabs the dog, and starts throttling him, and Madigan starts shooting at the creature to no avail. The other dog takes off, and Madigan tries to call him back, come on, come on, and the dog's not coming back. By the time the creature throws down the first dead dog and Madigan's shooting, the creature grabs the second dog and Mike takes off, and his both of his dogs are dead. Um, sh- shortly, about two or three weeks after this incident, they find Johnson's body, and it's entirely bashed to death, and Johnson's dead. At, it wasn't too long after that when the camp is cleared out. Everyone's scared. You know, everyone's terrified, and nobody's up there except Madigan himself, still living in his cabin up at Butchertown. Well, um, uh, he comes back to town about once a week or so uh, to get supplies and trade and that kind of thing, back to Port Orford. And uh, one period, he doesn't come back. And his friend Ramsey again, Rod Ramsey, he goes up there and he starts looking for him over the period of weeks. At one point near Thompson Flat, he finds this pile of stones, this pile of rocks that are, seem to be piled there unnaturally. And he starts pulling it apart, and in there, sure enough, there's a dead body, a dead human body. And he recognized it as Madigan from the knife on his belt and from his revolver, which was still in his holster, right? And so that that was the story that, that, that Harrison gave us, and it's a fascinating story, right? But the one thing that is disturbing about the whole thing is that this is this area of Thompson Flat is is now and maybe it was then uh, in the Rogue River National Forest, and just off the edge, still in the National Forest, just off the edge of Thompson Flat, there's a small burial plot, a tiny little burial plot, small cemetery, and it's called Huckleberry Knoll, and. <clears throat> All of the all of the grave markers are are indistinguishable and they're all rotted out and there's this old sign, Huckleberry Knoll. But the Genealogy Society in Curry County has record of four burials in Huckleberry Knoll off of Thompson Flat, and all four names of the burial record match the four names that were told in the story of the men who were killed at Thompson Flat. Wow. Right. So, I think there's something to this story. Part of that, too, um, you know, until more record or more evidence comes out, I am strongly suspecting that the famed uh, Chetco Devil Massacre 
that was uh, collected by Sanderson, I don't think it happened. I think the Checo Devil Massacre actually got confused with Thompson Flatten. So right now I got – this is sort of where I was in Ape Canyon about eight years ago. This project, this project is really in its infancy right now. And unfortunately, even though it's in its infancy, the, the file is about two inches thick right now of all the paper goods. Um, so there's lots more to do. There's lots, lots more to do. There's uh, death records, sheriff's records, medical examiner's records to see if there was any kind of exam done on these bodies and some sort of record left behind. Um, I have the deed records and the mining records to go through, ultimately to try to find the Harrison cabin. Uh, so there's lots more to do. And, of course, I'm planning a, uh, planning a field trip this summer down to Thompson Flat. Uh, the, main, the main one uh, for this trip is I'm going to be spending about a solid week or so in the vaults going, trying to go through all the records. Uh, but because it's so close to town, I can't go down there and not visit Thompson Flat just to walk down there. You know, I mean, not to necessarily to collect any field evidence or, or look, but just to go down there and see where all this took place because it's some it's somewhat sort of sort of accessible. Um, I say that now, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like we talked about about East Canyon, uh, but it's only, yeah. it's only about ten miles in from the coast. And so it, right now, at least I say it should be an easy day trip, at least just to go down and have lunch for an hour and then come on back. So that's, that's where I'm at with Thompson Flat. No, no, Mark, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, uh, with, in regards to the Thompson Flat monster, didn't a few people describe uh, what they saw as, as like the devil? And could that be some of the confusion with the, the Chetco uh uh, devil uh, scenario could that be maybe some of the confusion there just to using the word devil that could very well be um devil for sure wild man is certainly one of them as well mm-hmm. there was something strange i mean the, one thing that was terribly interesting culturally um i'm not a social i'm not a social psychologist at all but i i find it interesting that there were so many reports Coming out of Thompson Flat, I feel in a way that it was one of the rare times when um, Euro-American culture, white folk culture, started to take on an understanding of this creature in the woods, much like you see in Native culture, in, in, in Native American culture, where with, you know, perhaps if, if you're able to know or speak with um, uh, uh, someone who lives on one of the nations and who's a tribal member and who understand, who, who's kind of hip on Sasquatch, oftentimes the, the, the phenomenon is treated as there are these people that live up in the hills, they live up in the forest, and they live up there, and you don't mess with them. You know, when you go up into the mountains, you only go so far and you don't go into their area and they come back and everyone can live together peacefully. The people in Port Orford, I feel, were starting to get that way with how many reports were coming out of the mountains. As an example, in the, in the early part of the century, in the 1900s, maybe in the end of the 1890s, the local uh, high school, the local public school's sports team name was the Wild Man. The school would have carnivals uh, during, you know, some carnival night, and you can go to the carnival and play games. 
and you could go to the fortune teller and have your fortune told. And you could also see, you could, for a, you know, a dime or a nickel, that you could go behind the curtain and actually see the wild man in a cage, you know, at these school carnivals. It was like the football quarterback dressed up in bearskins, of course, but it was like an event that was published to see the wild man at the school carnivals, you know. So um, that that that's that's probably part part of the confusion of, of these names being bantered about. One other incident um, that I think provided maybe some confusion is there really was a massacre at Chetco, but this took place in the 1850s or 1860s at the mouth of the Chetco at Gold Beach, and it was an early guy who was just frankly an evil man named Smith, a, a white pioneer who um, instigated a massacre of the uh, old native village um, at the mouth of the Chetco, and he went in and and he killed many many people and tried to burn out their tried to burn out their houses. So there was that massacre. So that maybe has something to do with the confusion about the Chetco Devil Massacre. The other thing too is that we live with that story uh, of the Chetco Devil Massacre. But frankly, it's only coming from one source. It's only coming from that civil engineer that Sanderson interviewed. And I, frankly, I just couldn't find any corroborating document or evidence or anything like that that the Chetco Devil Massacre actually happened. Okay. And, and with the uh, the four graves, uh, these four individuals, uh, the names matching, on these grave, uh, on the, the headstones and whatnot, would there be a date on, on them, you think? Or, or is well, there a normally date? There, yeah, mm-hmm. normally there would be. I do have photos that were taking, taken by uh, a hiker uh, through that area of the Huckleberry Knoll uh, Cemetery. And, and he was he 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 took these photos just because it was a day hike. I believe it was a it was a geocaching fellow who was really into geocaching, and that was one of his goals is to go out and find the Huckleberry, Huckleberry Knoll Cemetery. So I do have a few photos from him of the photos that he took, and um, as best I can tell is that this uh, a lot of the gravestones were made out of cedar, right? And uh, so cedar can last a very very long time. Uh, but from the the one distinguishable headstone grave grave marker in the area, you can see writing on it. But in the photo, you really can't tell what it is. Um, so the point is is that you know it's ground truth. I got to get down there myself and find the ground truth and actually look at this myself. But I do find yeah. it I do find it terribly interesting that the genealogy society has the burial records of the four names matching the story of the of the Butchertown murders. That's it. That's. I mean, what a what an amazing uh, possible piece of the puzzle. Amazing find. Uh, I find it fascinating too. Keep using the word uh, uh, Huckleberry. Um, uh, that to me is very inter- interesting all by itself because of the amount of uh, you know being involved in this research, the amount of reports uh, that uh, Sasquatch is seen in and around Huckleberry or, or in areas of Huckleberry. <laughs> Every no, time I hear you, you say can't. that, yeah. yeah. You, you bet. I mean, I mean, I know that you guys know, and I know you, you guys have been there, but that area around, uh, quote-unquote, the Dark Divide, you know, on between oh, Adams yeah. and St. Helens, um, holy smokes, you know, oh, there's just a ton of huckleberries out there, right? You know, and so that's oh. a lot of the time where we get a lot of the reports coming out of that area as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Mark, having done the Ape Canyon, uh, and I know it's 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 a never-ending uh 
just never ending research. Uh, there's still more. Yeah, I mean, it's continuing on and on and on. But now getting involved in you know uh, some of this other uh, other ventures, you know, um, that, like the Thompson Flat and uh, thing you've got going on right now. What, what's what seems to be which one's a little more difficult? Are they about the same? Is there a, uh, are you finding uh, that one was easier than the other, or one what you know? Uh, what, you know, no, fr- coming from your experience, frankly, yeah, yeah. Fr- um, frankly, Thompson Flat is turning into a a much more difficult project, and oh. o- only only in as much. Well, let me let me explain it that that Ape Canyon basically only took place over the period of about two years for those miners between 1922 and 1924, where they had laid claim to the Vendor White Mine on Mount St. Helens in 1922 and spent the first couple of years uh, tent camping up there and then built their cabin in, in 1924, and the cabin was attacked, and they were out of there. You know, So it was basically over the period of, of two years and the cast of characters was maybe limited to less than a dozen. Thompson Flat is running from Tom on Star Mountain in 1875 for the next 25, 30, 35 years. Mind you, it's still a limited area, but there's 35 years worth of encounters, 30 years worth of encounters up there to sort through and to sort through all of these all of these people, and there's like, I don't know, there's like two or three dozen people involved in the story up there who had some sort of encounters. So Thompson Flat um, is one of those things where it's going to take a while, frankly, <laughs> in order yeah. to sort everything out. I'm finally getting around to the point now where I'm, where I'm uh, writing down um, in sort of a book form everything about Ape Canyon but I have no idea when I'm going to get to that point for Thompson Flat because it's a, it's a massive project. It's 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 very very big. But it's one of those things that's fun because you can you can do the you can do the document research at the t- same time that you do the field research, and so it kind of like drives you. It gets you keeps keeps the inertia going to go out there and, and spend some time up there. One difficult part too, that's the difference between as far as the field research goes right. between Ape Canyon and Thompson Flat. <clears throat> is that up at Ape Canyon, you know, you're up at the Timberline. And you might come across another hiker going on the trail, or you might come across some marmots or some, you know, (laughs) goats or nightbirds. But down at Thompson Flat, that's solid bear country. You know, that's that's very, very intensive bear country. And um, that can always make things more exciting as far as visiting the area goes. I have my yeah. parent, my grizzly experience, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Mark, yeah, bear, bear, bear repellent is definitely in order on this one. <laughs> yeah, Mark, when you go down to this southern Oregon area, uh, what specifically um, are you going to be looking for and doing? And are there, or have you found any? Uh, any contacts yet that you can reach out to? You know, I know with with uh, the Ape Canyon um, stuff, there there were certain people you could reach out to, and you found you could you could actually get a hold of. It, are you finding the same sort of scenario with uh, you know your latest adventure? Yeah, you bet. Um, they I haven't contacted them personally yet, uh, but I've con- but I've tracked down 
um, the grandchildren of Bob Harrison, um, who are still in the area. The, you know, once Bob Harrison went to Myrtle Point and became a newspaper editor, um, he, uh, he he became quite. He was a newspaper. He was a newspaper man in town for years and years and years, and uh, so he became a relatively prominent family. So I was able. To, so I've been able to track down some leads on some of his relatives. <clears throat> because there are two things, you know, there. well, there, there's one or two things. I would like to contact them to see if Harrison left behind any stories, which I'm thinking that he did. But there was a story published in 1902 um, where <clears throat> uh, I believe it was one of the Harrison family involved where the headline said, Wild Man of the Sixes, or Wild Man of the Curry County, now dead. And the story was was that uh, somebody bagged this large creature, same thing, six or seven feet tall, shot it, and had it up in his, ca- in his cabin up there at Thompson Flat, and was in the process of deboning it to rearticulate its skeleton. So <laughs> I know this is a pretty wild story, but, you know, you have to ask the question, uh, you know, did your grandfather leave any like a box of bones floating around the <laughs> attic or something like that? You know, so there's that. And then also, um, there's all I can't stress enough that when you get a research lead, where you have a lead for some information, or you have a lead for a story or some sort of resource, you absolutely have to track it down. In that. Uh, Curry County was one of the youngest counties, right, And so at the time in the 1880s. And so they did not have a lot of resources rolling in yet as far as establishing a county and establishing different um, uh, departments or members of that county, like the sheriff or, or a medical examiner or a county surveyor or, or whatever. So I was in contact with the state archives, Oregon State Archives, and um, it's one of those things where you have to find the right archivist to, to speak with who has that little piece of inside knowledge because I contacted Oregon State Archives to see if they had any death records, um, any you know, early perhaps sheriff's records or, 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 or medical examiner's records about these four men. And uh, no, they don't. And the, on the state level, death records only go back to 1908. And he said, no, you have to go to the individual county, right, to where in, in, in the county auditor's office or the county clerk's office where that information is held. And uh, he said, as an, as an aside, which was gold, uh, he said, you know, uh, Curry County probably doesn't have any medical examiner's records or sheriff's records. But I told him I was looking into a premature death case down in Curry County, Oregon, and he told me, you know, a lot of the time he did have knowledge that in the case of murders or something unusual, he said you needed to check with Coos County to the north because in something that was kind of out of their league or that they didn't have resources for, Curry County would go to Coos County and contract to them for help. So, you know, I'm going to be dealing with Curry County, but I'm also going to deal with Coos County as well to get into their records on the on the off chance that the Coos County Sheriff or the Coos County Medical Examiner got involved on this. So, yeah, lots of contacts to track down down there on this one. 
Wow, uh, Mark, you're you're uh, you're a pretty amazing guy. You're you just you rock. I'm so excited yeah. about this. Uh, I'm so excited about this work you're doing, and and I've been fortunate to to uh, be a little bit a part of it. But uh, this is uh, I love stuff like this. Uh, you are doing uh, some amazing stuff, and if if anybody out there is interested in in Sasquatch or Bigfoot or any anything like that, uh, you gotta. You got to listen to Mark here because uh, the historical stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's it's truly amazing stuff. I mean, and it's 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 fun to look at history and 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 find fact from fiction or fiction from fact and and all the little hidden things that uh, the little gold nuggets to be found out there that uh, you know you you know you're doing something special. I don't think every, this is this sort of stuff's not cut out for everybody. You really have to have patience, a keen eye, and uh, and uh, gusto. I mean, and you got all that. Just tenacity, just you know, like, you know, just like someone someone tells me, no, you can't do that, and it's like, oh, really? I can give it a shot. I can try it. Maybe maybe I'll fall flat and nothing will happen. But you know, at least I want to give it a shot. You know, and so that's one thing about about the conferences coming up, which I've been very very nicely invited to. By the time that those conferences come up at the International Bigfoot Conference and Big Sky in Montana, by that point I'll have um, I'll have um, at least a field trip uh, down of, down to Thompson Flat and probably some photos and videos, and I'll be gathered. I'll by that point gathered hopefully some more information about these four guys who were killed and, and a lot more information about the mining history. So I'm hoping to present a lot more information on Thompson Flat by the time I get down there. Well, fantastic stuff, fantastic. I mean, and, and once again, you know, uh, the, the conferences, you're, you're doing um, the, the Big Sky Conference in Montana. And yep. wait, can you give us the dates on those again? I know the International Bigfoot Conference is, is uh, September 1st through 3rd, I believe. The, uh, Labor Day uh, weekend. Labor Day weekend, right. Uh, what about yep. the uh, Big Sky Conference? You know, I don't know. But okay. <laughs> it's about two weeks after that. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I am looking it up. I believe it's uh, third. There we go. September 22nd and 23rd in Hamilton, Montana. And that's a good lineup okay. too. They have a lot. They have a lot of fun. They have a lot of fun speakers at Big Sky as well. Oh yeah, I, I know uh, uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum will be there. You know, anthropologist from uh, Idaho State University. Uh, Amongst other other great speakers, uh, Tom Broadhead yeah. and uh, some of those guys, and then of course you know yeah, National Bigfoot Conference is going to have an amazing lineup as well. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, you bet. So yeah, I've, I've been, I'm yeah Sarah Throckmorton who runs the Big Sky was very nice to invite me to, to that one. So I'm looking forward to Montana. I haven't spent a lot of time out in Montana, so that'll be a fun one. It's going to be a busy September because I'll just be coming down off the high of uh, International Bigfoot Conference, then I'll be going out to Montana <laughs> for that. That'll be fun. Well, Mark, I, I want to thank you for for coming and and I, I can listen to you for hours. This could be, you know, we we need to do this again and again, updated when you as you uh, progress oh, yeah. with this project. I, I just can't uh, thank you enough for the effort that you put into like research. It's I mean, you're you're talking hundreds of hours to at least hundreds of hours. I'm sure you're <laughs> up to thousands, over a thousand hours in the, the Ape Canyon project already. But 
Um, yeah, just I, just ask Catherine. Uh, just ask Catherine on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to thank your wife for being such a patient. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let her know. Thank you, guys. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, holler at me if uh, when you're headed down there, I might. I'd, I'd love to join you if I am, I'm available. So that'd yeah, be cool. I'll let you. I'll let you guys know because you know you guys did Ape Canyon and. Yeah. If you haven't quit on me yet, <laughs> that was the time to do it. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll let you guys know. No, it'd be, it'd be a fun trip for sure. I'm really, I'm really excited about the, the, it. Yeah, no, the key that it, is that it's called Thompson Flats, so that's good for me. And, okay. and Gunner's good flat, bear yeah. <laughs> Great bear bait, so. Yeah, flat is relative. Yeah. I get there. <laughs> no, from what I understand, it's, you know, again, it's, you know, it's, it's marble uplift. Here, 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 up here, northwest Oregon, southwest Washington, you have nice rolling volcanic features. With that one, from where I'm expecting to park the car, um, it's about a two-mile trip in to Thompson Flat, and the best I can tell is it's about half a mile of, of gain. You're going downhill the first time, but then you've got to go back home. So it's, it's steep and brushy and wooded. Um, so, yeah, it's steep, but it, it's flat when you get there, if that helps at all. So. <laughs> okay, well, Mark, thank you for joining us today, and, and as well as last weekend. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come and uh, talk with us. I like, oh, yeah, like to listen you so to you for hours. So. <laughs> oh, thanks. Well, yeah, I tend to go on and on. But, no, thanks so much. Monster X has always been a big supporter um, and I, re- I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, listen to my projects. So thanks, you guys. All right. Well, for, yeah, thank you, Mark. Shane, for Shane Corson and Mark Marcel and myself, Gunnar Monson, we want to thank you to, for listening to Monster X this weekend. And have a great week. Uh, we'll be back next weekend with uh, another new, brand-new Monster X radio. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.